Hello, welcome again to Just for Farmers. I'm yet again with my friend, Paul Harris. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Good morning, Dave. I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Yeah, it is morning because I've got to go to my son's sports day today. So we're filming this via Zoom at some unearthly o'clock and there should only be one of these o'clocks in a day, as uh, the great Robin Williams said in Good Morning Vietnam. Um, well, of course, all those listening will be thinking, what? If they, if they knew the time, which is what time is it? About quarter to eight in the morning, they'd say that's mid-morning, Dave. It mid-morning. is yes, midnight to them, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, here we are again today. After following on from the first couple of sessions where we really sort of sponged Paul Dry of his knowledge and expertise on personality profiling, we're now going to move a little bit forward into something that farmers have suggested to us they really need help with. And that's the subject of both interviewing and hiring people on the farms. Now, Paul, do you want to give us a segue into this and tell us a little bit more about what you've learned and why you learned it? Yeah, so I think uh, recruitment and particularly getting people onto farm is one of the key challenges at the moment for most of the agricultural sector, particularly for certain sectors who have experienced challenges since Brexit, where the supply of Eastern European labour has has fallen uh, and is not not as available as it was. So a lot of farmers are all scrabbling around trying to find the right people for their farms. So recruitment, and then once we get them onto farm, how do we interview them, are two of the subjects that I get asked a lot about um, in terms of how do we do that more effectively. So I think in terms of the segue, really, we talked a lot last time about um, the importance of maybe personality profiling and getting the right people in your team. And of course, that absolutely applies when you can't, when you start to think about bringing new people onto your farm. And one of the challenges I often see, Dave, is that people say, well, I'm desperate. So their interview, <laughs> their interview technique is often you get somebody onto the farm from whatever purpose. It might be an advert on Facebook or maybe they'll advertise locally or tell some friends. Somebody turns up and if they're vertical, breathing and can just about speak English, and they pink. get the job. <laughs> and because we're desperate, we need somebody. So I think maybe this morning we can talk a little bit about the importance of getting the right person. And that's where yeah. we use perhaps profiling to help us. But then also a little bit maybe um, at some stage about the interview process itself. Does that sound like a plan? Absolutely. Because I think having worked with an awful lot of young adults entering the workplace, both in urban environments and cities and also sort of country and rural schools and colleges and universities, I see a lot of misconceptions about the farming industry. They don't necessarily perceive it as a career. They see it as a job and they many of them see it as a vacational or um, transitional, transactional piece of employment, maybe something to do in the holidays rather than as a career. And they don't perhaps understand what's involved in farming. And I think that's something that definitely needs addressing if you're going to get the right people entering the industry. Well, I think you've made a really good point, Dave, because the the, the access to labour, this is what what people often talk about, and they often talk about access to foreign labour. And yes, we do need that. Ideally, there's some some macro um, situations that that people like the NFU and AHDB need to work with the government on in terms of, particularly on the horticultural side of of labour, where we need people to pick vegetables and things like that. But my challenge to the industry when we're thinking about recruitment, really, is... There is a huge millions of people out there in the world of work 
Why aren't they coming into farming? And particularly with young people, do they even know about farming? Do they even hear about farming? If you're in a rural community, you tend to hear about what farming is about, but particularly as, as a lot of people you work with, Dave, in your, in your business as well, the younger people, maybe in the more urban areas, as you say, might consider working on the farm in the summer, but they would, would they consider it as a career? So we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and I'd be interested in your thoughts at some stage about how we mm. can engage with young people and get them to consider agriculture because it isn't just farming people often think of agriculture as the farming and there's yeah there's fantastic jobs and careers you can build within the farming environment but there's also the entire supply chain in agriculture which is huge and if you're an engineer and you're a scientist there are huge opportunities to work with major companies that supply either equipment or fertilizers you know, i mean from biology right through to mechanics there's a huge amount of potential in the agricultural sector for young people. And yet, and some of those, yes, will end up working on our farms directly. They, those that maybe love animals that want to work with livestock, those that love machinery that want to drive these huge combines that you see this time of year going around the fields, <clears throat> but we need to engage with them. Uh, and that's another whole subject for us to talk about as well at some stage. There's, 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 there's that cliche, isn't it? But no one understands farming, but we only need farmers three times a day minimum. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the absolute bedrocks. Well, yeah, I mean, we talk about few, um, food security and making mm -hmm. there's going to be enough food to, to feed us all. And yet, is, it, is that a career that people think about when they're at 16, 17, thinking of leaving school or doing A-levels or going to university? I mean, there are some great, agricultural colleges uh, you know, and but i mean preparing youngsters for the the world of work getting people ready for what the world of work is going to be like you know I, i'd love to talk to colleges about that you know are we really preparing people in fact segueing right back to personality profiling i have done some work with universities that say tell these young people that when they come on to work on a farm they're going to meet different people who are not like them. And you might think, well, that's really obvious, but we're not teaching young people the fact that when they go into the world of work, people are going to be different to them. It might sound, well, of course we know that. That's really obvious, but it isn't obvious. Because I work with farmers right now who are my age who don't realise why somebody is behaving like they are. Is it just because they're being difficult? No, it's because they have a different wiring. To Absolutely. And when so come true. recruit people, you know, it's essential we start to consider that, really. Okay, so let, let's go full circle because this might this might be as you've suggested before we came on the call, a couple rather than just one. Um, so let's start at the beginning. A farmer identifies that there's a need for an extra pair of hands on the farm in whatever capacity. What do they do at the moment and how could they do it better? Great. So what tends to happen, as I said at the beginning, really, is there's a panic. We start with a panic. Somebody, somebody, somebody resigns. It with the brooms. <laughs> and it's a bit like that. Ah, what are we going to do now? You know? um, and, and partly the panic comes because there's a perception that there is nobody out there that wants to work on a farm because it's so difficult to recruit people. Now, my argument is, first of all, let's not panic. Because when we make a decision in haste, we often regret at our leisure. So and often when we're panicking, we're desperate, we don't make the best decisions we can. So the first thing right. is don't panic. As um, those who are old enough to remember dad's army, don't panic, Mr. Mannering, don't panic. It's not gonna be quite as bad as, as, we, as we think. It, and then the first stage is to think, 
what is the staffing need? So sometimes when somebody leaves, yes. <clears throat> excuse me, the first question we have to have to ask ourselves is why did they leave? So an exit interview is a really good idea, you know, because if the reason they leave, and I may have mentioned this person before, and forgive me for anybody <laughs> called Bob, is still on the farm. If the reason they've left is because I can't work with Bob or Mary or Fred or whoever it might be, then actually bringing somebody else in, you're still going to have the same problem. So we need to yeah. understand why somebody's left. Is it lack of training? Is it the poor working conditions? Is it some of the things maybe we've spoken about before? So understanding why somebody is left may get at the heart. So that's the first step. Then we need to think, okay, what do you need that person to do? Because actually there might be an opportunity to move people around. So the person, the job that you're replacing may not be the same job as the person that's leaving. So there's all these questions to consider, Dave, before we do the panic of put an advert out on Facebook or put a go join one of the farming groups and say, help, I need somebody. Or go on to Indeed and chuck an advert out. Uh, or tell your friends that you need somebody or go down to the pub and ask people, anybody know anybody? Before we do all that, we need to think about all those questions about what's that person need to do. We also need to think about what type of person do we want? So say on a livestock farm, you're looking for a calf rearer. And we may have mentioned this in previous sessions. You need somebody maybe to think about, well, they need to be relatively caring if they're going to look after the animals. They probably need an attention to detail. And that starts to lead us into the this person specification yeah. as well as the job description, which then starts to think, OK, I need to be thinking about profiling as part of my recruitment process, because that will identify if that person is likely to be somebody who's caring and attention to detail, or are they more just get the job done and I don't concentrate that's not going to be what you want for, a, for, a, for maybe a car free role. So I guess the first step is, is two P's, actually. Don't panic and plan. That's the first okay. step. Okay. And I'm now already thinking of the types of students for whom they would never consider farming. But, but actually would be a good fit for them and they'd be the right people. But they'd never think of approaching farming as an industry for a career so there's, there's loads of people in schools who want to become vets mm -hmm. veterinary surgeons equestrian veterinary people and and some of them are intelligent enough to go on and do it some of them are capable some of them have got the right attitude and the right work ethic to go on and do that others very very well intentioned adore animals to pieces perhaps haven't got quite that application of mind to go and do what it takes to become a vet but they'd be amazing at calf rearing mm -hmm. livestock management and things like that so I'm, I'm already seeing how there could be this match it's a case of how do we bring them together and once you've got them in front of the farmer on the farm how do we convince them that this is a career for them well and, and this is a massive subject for um for the industry to face actually so if we are if we pose it as questions why are people not considering coming into farming? There's mm. a plethora of reasons for that. And some of them are, are to do with the education system and not being part of the curriculum, not being told that at careers evenings. But a huge part of it is us, the farmers. So if you ask the general public to describe the average farmer, what's the word you think that tends to come out? Grumpy. Moaning. 
<laughs> always moaning about the weather, moaning about people on their land, moaning about public footpaths, moaning about dogs, which can be a major issue, by the way, particularly for livestock farmers. So we have a, an image issue <laughs> and reputation issue that doesn't necessarily make it out that this is the industry to work in. There's also another part of the of, there's a number of other aspects. It is very much still, although it's changing, a white British male that runs the farming sector. So it's not particularly inclusive, particularly from a race and particularly from a gender perspective. It's still not balanced. And the second thing is, is that there's a perception that unless you can work, you're prepared to work like I've worked and previous people have worked on farms for 80 to 100 hours a week. You're a snowflake. You're the snowflake generation that don't want to work hard. Uh, and actually, we've got th this badge of honour that we have that, you know, the amount of hours is commensurate to your ability to work on a farm is not giving the right impression. So if when the students are thinking of leaving uh, school or college and thinking, what are my choices? I can go and work for even a supermarket and I might get my weekends off. I might do 40 hours a week. When we're saying, well, we'd like you to work between 50 and 60, maybe 70 hours a week. We'd like you to work for 10, maybe 12 days before you get a day off. And then you're only going to get two days off, 12 days on two days off, which is a very common still idea in farming. So we're asking people to work for 12 days without a day off, 10 to 12 hours a day, so get, starting early in the that we've got to look at some of those real structural issues in the industry and we've i've now got clients who've got farms that are working their staff for five days a week 40 hours a week now they've got more staff they have more part-time and relief staff to be able to do that but there are solutions to making the industry first of all dave as you say well how do we attract students in we've got to make it more attractive first and, and actually having a slightly larger workforce working less hours means a mentally emotionally physically they're in better nick to serve you the farmer and also when you've got someone going off short or god forbid long term ill or whatever then you've got pull a resource to pull on rather than going to a blind panic and production dips so there's there are so yeah there are so many issues you're right not never considered before yeah and and i think also there's um uh, because uh, again particularly different sectors of, of agriculture are really open actually about their production costs and how much it costs to produce a, a piece of meat or an acre of crops or an animal um, or a liter of milk there's a lot of really accurate costings and what happens is we often compare ourselves with other businesses in agriculture quite unusual actually the dairy sector particularly is very open with its with it with its with its competitors if you like about how what their cost structure is and often one of the numbers that gets looked at is well your labor cost as a percentage it seems to be quite high and there's often a downward pressure on numbers of people now there is often pressure because of the, the price of the product that we're selling, if we're talking about a milk price, for instance, is that drops, you know, the, the farmer's just expected to absorb that, you know, because they're told the price they're going to get for their product. It's not like a normal market forces where yeah. the price that you sell is the price that you say, here's my production cost. I had a profit on, and that's what I'm going to sell it for. Certainly when you think about milk in particular, you're told the price you're going to get. So there's a structural issue with how we then actually can manage our costs. But often the place that goes are things like training and staff, because we can't not feed the animals. We can't not grow the crops. We can't not use the machinery. So the things that often get targeted are labor costs. 
And what then happens is, particularly in the smaller farms where it's run by families, it's the family that pick up the slack. And they're the ones that fill in. So what I, what I, the advice that I try and give to my uh, clients is, look, imagine having half a unit of labour over what you need. Now, there's no such thing as you probably get as half a unit. Half a unit yeah. <laughs> but actually, in terms of your calculations, if you have that extra person in your team, absolutely, it needs to be costed, but it will pay for itself by improved production. People don't take as much time off sick because they're not exhausted. You've got the cover for the holidays. You as a family can take time off. How do you value all of those things? Health, welfare, you know, motivation and ultimately performance. Because when people are working 10, 12 days, it's been well proved that performance will begin to dip as we tire. So if you've yep. got that extra half a unit of labor, then you need, which it always will be a full person, but it works out at about half a unit over what you think you're going to need. So there'd be an odd occasion when people may be allowed to go home early <laughs> because there's no more work to do. The benefit of that is, is over the long term. So rather than thinking short term, I've just got to have, I've got to cut my labor costs. I've got too many people here actually holding on to your labor sometimes, maybe at half a unit over what you need over the long term will, will, will improve your crop yield, will improve your milk yield because people aren't tired. Does that make sense, Dave? It, it makes sense. And I'm listening to this and thinking about some of the farmers I've met and know, and they'll be listening to this going, feeling perhaps a little overwhelmed at how, oh my gosh, I've got to do this on top of what I'm already doing and managing this and blah, 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 blah. And, and sadly, there is, a, there is a brutal reality that's coming the industry's way, which is not only do people not perceive farming as a career at the moment, but the, the young people entering the workplace in particular are spoiled for choice mm. with new careers in new industries that perhaps our generation you know, these jobs weren't even in existence. I mean, for, for example, I know I know a young lad who left high school about two or three years ago, and he was already earning more than me <laughs> playing football on his computer game. So you see, I'm showing my age, computer game, an Xbox or whatever. But <laughs> he was earning more than me in his spare time playing fo get football games on a computer. Now, that is a career now. And we we can we can dismiss the the veritable tsunami of change that is coming our way. All I would say to any farmer that's feeling overwhelmed is, as Paul said, two P's: press pause, plan and evaluate, look at what you need, and start working towards solving that problem day by day. You don't have to do it all at once, but start doing little things every day to start dealing with this change that is coming because, and without wishing to sort of bring the mood down, just consider what are the consequences of you not dealing with that change? It's, that's a really good, another really good point about uh, not dealing with the consequences because one of the consequences people often say to me when I say, when I say things like, well, maybe you need more people. Well, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. And I said, well, are you training the people that you've got? So often the fear with taking young people and maybe inexperienced people, maybe people who've never worked in farming before, is they need training. 
And often what, what farmers will say to me, just find us because we do a lot of recruitment for farmers. Find me somebody who can put some cups on if they're milking. Find me somebody who can drive a tractor. Find me somebody who can already do this. Well, of course, by definition, that's the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Because over a period of time, if we don't put anybody in at the bottom that's got no skills, there'll be, no, there'll be nobody left in the industry. So we have to start accepting that we need to train people. But people often say to people, like, yeah, but I spend all this money on training these young people. Then they go off and work in a firm that's making computer games. So I've lost all that money. And they say, I can't afford to train. I don't want to do training. There's no point in investing it in, in that bottom end. And I say, but what happens if you don't? So the worry is, if I train people and then they just leave, was that a waste of money? My simple question to people is, what happens if you don't train them and they stay? Think about it. So you end up with the people who are untrained, right. whereas yeah. if you do train people, often they'll end up being the best people in the industry because they've started from the bottom up. It enhances your reputation as an employer because you're known as somebody that invests in training. Word gets around. If you're leaving college, particularly an agricultural college, and you're a farm that's known for investing in young people, you'll often get the first calls for those people. So but everything has to be more long term. So, as you said, David, it's got to be doing small things for the long term benefit of not only your own farm, but for the industry, rather than this short term panic of I just need to fill a body. I need some anybody will do as long as they're vertical and breathing and breathing just about then they've got a job on my farm. It's not you, you've, you've highlighted something else there, Paul, as well. You've highlighted something else quite important that. And I don't know this. I'm going to make an assumption here that perhaps farms don't really care that much about their reputation, what they're known for in the community. But what you've just said there, if they get a reputation and get known for looking after their employees, it's a nice, safe, fun place to work. You get paid OK. You get looked after. You know, maybe you get fish and chips on a Friday lunch or or whatever, whatever. If you get known as a good employer who trains and looks after your team, that will get around. It, it, it will be it will be self-fulfilling. It, it is, David. And there are farms right now that have that reputation. You know, some mm. that I know some of the people in the industry, there are people who are, are doing this. They're investing in their people. They are doing fish and chip Fridays, whatever it might be. And, and again, Farmers go, oh, yes, yeah, for more for me to think about. It's more for me to do. But you've got no choice. As you said, the change is coming. The change is here, actually. It's already here. And those employers who are taking the time to invest, train in their people, give them good working conditions, reduce their working hours, give themselves time off, those are the ones that are become the employers of choice. And the thing about agriculture, it, it is... It, it is a, not quite a closed community, but it's a very, people talk within that community and people do get known. So it's not that difficult to be exceptional versus the norm. Yeah. Just a small yeah. number of things can really separate you out when you're thinking of recruiting and attracting staff. And you talk about reputation. That's one of the things I often talk about in my, what I call my 10 foundation stones, the things that farmers have got to get right, first of all. And it begins with how we talk about our own business, how we talk about our people and how we talk about the industry. So I said the public has a perception that it's a grumpy farmer. Well, if you are, when you're with other farmers, constantly saying, oh, I can't get staff and staff are hopeless and, oh, it's woe is me. 
would people want to work for somebody that constantly moans about their staff? You yeah. know, I have people that tell me, oh, the truth is, you know, just, they're just idiots, you know, and, and they're snowflakes and they don't want to work hard. Probably not going to want to come and work for you, particularly as a young person, if that's the way you're talking about me and my generation. So how we talk about ourselves in the industry is an absolute, absolute critical one. And in addition to that, if I asked, if I'm going to look for a job, where would I go, Dave? If I'm going to go and look for a job, where, what's the first thing I would tend to do or the first place I would tend to go to look for jobs? Our generation, probably the job centre, but younger generation, probably the internet. Precisely. So <laughs> any, anybody really under the age of about 60 would generally go onto the internet now to find the job. In my day, it was the local, and Dave, you'll remember this, it was the local Birmingham Evening Mail on a Thursday night. Yeah. Job. Yeah. And there'd be pages and pages of job adverts. That's how we, and you'd circle the adverts. And that's now people go straight onto Google and they'll look for farming jobs. And they might go onto a farming website, you know, farming jobs website, or any website like Indeed or something like that, or total jobs. So once they've done that, and maybe they've, they've found um, a job advert, what most people will do, particularly the better quality people, they'll do a bit of research. So they'll Google the name of your farm. Now, in most businesses case, in many traditional businesses, let's call it in the more corporate world, if you Google the name of a business, normally you'll find a Facebook page or a website about that business. I would say probably 95% of farms don't have an internet presence. Now, farmers will tell me that's because they're terrified of having animal rights protesters appearing if you're a livestock farmer in particular on your doorstep now we understand that okay the challenge is the animal rights activists know where all the livestock farms are already it doesn't yeah. make any difference particularly but the challenge when it comes to recruiting people again if all i can find when i google your business is a directory 192 listing <laughs> maybe we, with your granddad's name on that because it's never been changed and there's no information and the other job I'm going for, I put the farm name in and a little website pops up and it's just a small website, doesn't have to be sexy, which talks a little bit about how the, their values and how they work. Which of the two businesses, Dave, am I going to be more likely to be interested in? The one that I can Yeah, 100% the same one. Yeah. So again, it's a bit like, oh, it's overwhelming. I'm now thinking about building a website. You know, get your kids to build a website. They're not difficult to build. And it doesn't have to be anything clever. It just needs to be what I call an online footprint or a Facebook page where you can put images up of what farming really is about. Not necessarily. Think about it through the eyes of somebody who's maybe not familiar with the industry. So we don't want to put picture of an afterbirth particularly but we can put pictures of how we're looking after animals the beautiful fields that we're mowing and drilling you know we can start to promote the industry we've got to fight back almost and get into the 21st century and know that when people are looking for jobs they go online when they research you they need to find something positive about you so there's lots of other things we can do as well but you know those are the two of the just getting into the 21st century really does that make sense you yeah you've you've triggered something there in me because most people are interested in farming they want to understand more i mean that that's why you know every sunday early evening people are glued to what's the name of the program that's all country file country file they're always glued to my wife never been on a farm in her life 
glued to the country file or um that Clarkson on the farm. Jamie Clarkson, Clarkson yeah. on the farm, yeah. But people are fascinated by that. And so there there is an opportunity for a preemptive strike here. If people are genuinely interested in hiring a local labor force, here's Maverick idea. Go to them. Mm-hmm. Go go into all your local high schools, colleges, and universities, community centers, churches, and see if you can craft, and I can help with that in another show, a, a small presentation you do. In every high school, for example, there's there's normally between 800 and 2,500 young adults in a high school, and there is a careers officer pulling their hair out because they've got to try and forge links with local employers. And to have a farmer come into their school and give a talk or a Q&A on this is what it's like to work on a farm and we need you, that uh, is heaven got- sent to a school, yeah. heaven sent. Yeah, bang on, David. And I think we in the white paper that I wrote last year about one of the solutions to the long-term labour shortage was... And, we'll, and I'll mention this again, um, is this going out into the marketplace and, and speaking about it. However, and here's a topic for another session, keep, keep, keep your eyes on this one, <laughs> is we need to help farmers how to do that. So I think, Dave, we should spend a bit of time telling people how to put a little talk together, because the assumption that every farmer is going to be comfortable going out and speaking in front of a thousand people, you know, there are some farmers I wouldn't want to put in front of a thousand people because they wouldn't be able to speak positively. So let's do a session on how you you prepare a little talk. But you're absolutely right that actually engaging with the community is a lady called Amy Jackson. Look her up. She does a lot of sort of PR around the importance of the farming industry engaging with the community with people that disagree with us there's no point in saying animal rights activists just don't understand farming well let's engage with each other because actually quite often the objective view of somebody outside of farming is relevant and we need to take on board there is some language that we use in farming that still puzzles me we have a, a piece of equipment that is used and you'll see it on country file you'll see it on clarkson's farm where we need to get an animal into a particular position so that we can either test them for tb or maybe artificially inseminate them do you know what it's called it's called a crush a crush when we're thinking about let's put the animal in the crush you know that's not (laughs) language particularly to, to describe what it is you know Holding device would be better even. But, you know, it's it's people from outside the industry that have a perspective on farming. If we engage with them, which is what Amy Jackson talks about, if we have a conversation rather than thinking, no, you don't understand. You don't understand farming. We're more likely to win them over. And over a period of time, that starts to allow more people to consider farming as a career. You know, there are certain pieces of kit. The technology in farming is unbelievable, incredible. And yet yeah. in certain areas of the farm, it's still quite primitive in the way that we address things. So I think your the point about engaging with the, whether it's the community, whether it's schools, is key to, again, solving this recruitment crisis that we have currently in farming. 
So, some great value in the first half of this session. In the second half, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to look at you, the farmer, and how you can look after yourself physically. Because when I spoke to farmers, you were always having knee problems, back problems, shoulder problems, lower back problems. And so I went to an authority on the subject, James Bacon, a body, posture, health and well-being coach. He's helped me a lot in the last few months, and I'm hoping that he can give us some advice to help us look after ourselves on the farm, because the farmer is your farm's greatest asset. 